The big part with like transitioning from like a non-DevOps culture to a DevOps culture is like communicating that change. It's a lot of tech changes, a lot of like structural changes and like how you're doing things, like how you're building things is changing. And like, I've seen this firsthand so many times, companies just build the thing, they have no training docs, there's no train, there's no helping with it. It, it, and it just, it dies, it flounders. And they spent, you know, half a billion dollars building out this DevOps, you know, flow for the developers and it just doesn't work because they can't evangelize it internally. Joe Carlson is a senior developer advocate at Single Store. Single Store is a highly scalable SQL database that delivers maximum performance for transactional and analytical workloads, all with familiar relational data structures. Joe collaborates with teams across the company to amplify developers' voices and provide support for multiple audiences. Today, we're going to talk about cross-team empathy and why DevRel and DevOps work hand-in-hand. Welcome to DevOps State of Mind, a podcast where we dive deep into the DevOps culture and chat with friends from small startups and large enterprises about what DevOps looks like in their organizations. I'm Lise from LogDNA. Join us as we get into a DevOps state of mind. Hey, Joe, thank you for being here. First of all, I just want to say that intro was so good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. you I do things a lot, and like good people ask me to with. introduce myself, and like you just did it better than I've ever done it ever in my life. Um, Love it. You can you impressed. can steal this and use it for future. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was that again? Um, no, that was so good. Also, when I'm like doing intros, I I feel like I. I become manic. I just start racing through it. That was it. Was just so good. Thank um, you. I'm taking notes here. I'm learning. I'm learning about how to run a <laughs> podcast here. Um, anyways, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. I'm just excited to be here and just chit chatting about DevOps and data and empathy and all the things. Everything. All the things. All the everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. Okay. Maybe not everything, but a lot of things. We'll give we'll give the audience a little a little juice for their squeeze. Okay, so let's start just by level setting. Can you tell the audience a little bit about Single Store and what y'all do over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually, I'm pretty recently joined Single Store. But uh, yeah, we're a database. We're MySQL wire compatible. So if you've ever used MySQL, perfect for you. Um, And basically what makes us different is we're great for handling real-time data analytics. So like if you're doing data streaming, it's it's amazing. It's we have this like proprietary columnar store that works really well for like transactions, but also like running massive analytics. So anyway, if you are running a old school database and running to issues and you're scaling up real time data, definitely want to look at a single store. Awesome. Um, that answered the question, right? Yeah, yeah. That was okay, good. good. Just to dive a little bit more into data, I feel like data is a really broad term. We talk a lot about data at Log DNA as well. Obviously, what is data? <laughs> what is data? Yeah, it is art. We, I don't know. <laughs> we could spend a lot of time on this. Um, yeah. I spend 90% of my time thinking about log data and how to mm. talk about that, how people extract value out of it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff. But for you, can you just explain kind of what you mean when you say data and maybe some advice that you would give someone who wants to think about? using their data to enable DevOps? 
Can I just say, first of all, I think you and I, we need to get paid more. Like, I think log data and data is not the funnest thing to talk about. And like, it's not the exciting thing devs brag about. Like, oh, we got this coolest log system set up. Like, I that, mean, that's not something you ever hear anyone bragging about. We we try to make we it gotta make it cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can do it. I think you're doing a great job. Um, but um, yeah, what do I mean by data? I, data, yeah. Uh, um, I guess I could talk specifically about single store. I know... Um, like our data tends to be like streaming data. Like if you're using Kafka, like any data that's flowing through in like real time is really great use case for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, streams, it can really mean anything. And specifically for us too, it's our DBMS. So we're just saving, you know, it's a relational database management system. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that's like a good fit for rolling, ro- like relational data structures works well for us. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I think that like, I'm seeing a trend here in databases. Everyone's claiming to be the general purpose modern database right now. And it's yeah. like, what the hell does that even mean? And what's the difference? I think that's the hard part that it's like distinguished any of them. Yeah, for sure. And it's hard. Everyone's telling you they're the single, they're the silver bullet. They're going to solve all your problems and like, we'll save all your data no matter what, which probably not true. Probably not true. I mean, um, you can save it, but what are you going to do with it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's for real. That's key, though. Like, how are you going to query this? Yeah. And I think that's a huge part. You know, like, most systems are read only. You know, right, there's write heavy systems, too. But, like, how are you using it? And you probably need it, like, decently quick. Like, a three-hour query t- runtime is not probably not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just for niche analytics purposes. But, like... Most uh, modern systems, that's not going to fly, right? So, like, I think that's hugely important. And your architecture and database choice is super important. Or log system, whatever. Yeah, totally, totally. And then also, like, tying it to who the data consumers are and what they actually need to be able to do with it. And the systems in which they use that information is really important. And I think it's, it's actually super cool to see how the industry is evolving to think about those different data consumers right now um, mm. and kind of a pushback on this concept of just as my production of data increases, I just need a bigger bucket to store it all. Mm-hmm. I think people are kind of their BS meter is starting to go off a little bit. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. I, yeah. And like we're in the industry too, where like the demands for logs and data and is like it's only going to increase. We're yeah, it's still the wild west days of like understanding how to do this, and like we're in a we're in a massive transition point in like understanding like what the future of data and data processing is going to look like. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? For sure, it's exciting times. I think it's cool. I think it's exciting. I don't. I kind of fell into this data world, and I don't know. For me personally, like data needs are not going anywhere. They're all, every year they're just exponentially growing, mm-hmm. and. Like sorting through that data is a problem that like machine learning is poised to solve, but like it still needs a human touch on it. And like architecting and scaling that up, I think it's still going to be a thing that we need for a long time. Who knows? Maybe not forever, but uh, who kn- when the machines finally take over, maybe they'll finally start automating our databases and data logs or whatever too. But yeah. retention policies, you know, it's a, but I think it's, it's huge for right now. For yeah. sure. For sure. People are excited about that though. They're like, oh, Tell me about the AI capabilities. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's people like it when computers act like humans. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I don't. It's fun. I don't think it's doing exactly what you think it's doing yet. It isn't. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people like have a yeah. I still to this day the AI 
promise they're still overblown. Yeah. I think we're starting to rein it in a little bit from like a couple of years ago, but like we're realizing that the promises that were made maybe weren't as accurate as uh, we thought they were. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I didn't remember driving like self-driving cars were supposed to be all the thing like five years ago and we're still, we're still waiting for it. It's, it's yeah. We're making Watson famously overpromised its medical yeah. AI abilities. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting things to think about. Also, I just, I, I feel like it's easy to get a little bit over your skis mm. with how much you can accomplish in what period of time. So oh, I yeah. genuinely think that a few years ago they thought that AI would be a bit more advanced than mm-hmm. it is right yeah, now. Yeah, it'll be ready by then, we promise. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It's good. It's just like not – it's not there yet. Right. It's just not quite there yet. Yeah. yeah. And who knows? I don't know. We haven't had like a big breakthrough in AI and ML right now for mm-hmm. a while. Um, it's uh, – we'll see. I don't know. I also – Take everything and say with a grain of salt. I'm just vaguely touched in. I'm not a. I'm not like a AI machine learning guy. I'm just. Uh, I just read some hacker news articles at Joe Carlson on Twitter. Mm-hmm. What the hell is this guy <laughs> talking about? I, I, I'm with you. Elon's I don't know. like, who is know. this Joe guy? He's yeah, just yeah. talking he out of his so ass. Confident. No, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, love it. Well, you touched on something really important, which is like this human mm. aspect and. That's a lot of of what I think you do working in developer advocacy. I would love to just dive a little bit deeper into what DevRel looks like at Single Store. I know that Mm. it can look super different from one organization to another. So if you could just tell us a little bit about that, that would be awesome. Yeah, totally. I know. It's one of those things. It's like... I remember taking like uh, career quizzes when I was in like high school and like this was not a job that existed when yeah. I took those in high school, which is kind of cool. They're like, and I remember them telling me like, there's going to be jobs that don't exist right now. And it's like, I'm doing that right now. Yeah, like podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you're totally right. Like if you ask, even if you ask developer advocates within a company what their job is and like what it is, you're going to get different answers and it varies wildly from company to company. In my humble opinion, break it down into three different categories. Mm-hmm. There's the community-focused dev- developer advocates. There's a the product-focused developer advocate who's like working on like giving feedback and kind of working with the community, figuring out what to build mm-hmm. um, or resolving issues or managing GitHub requests or whatever. Um, and the third one is content-focused developer advocates. Yeah. Um, I've, Personally, I consider myself down the content uh, alley. So that means I'm producing videos and speaking on podcasts like yours. Um, I'm speaking at conferences. Um, I do a lot, though. We wear a lot of different hats and it's really vague and weird. Um, Like I've been writing documentation and consulting with the docs team for reviews recently. I've been working on teaching about how to talk to developer audience internally. I worked on a keynote recently. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it like really depends if you have like a really short attention span like me, it works really great because you're going to be doing a lot of different <laughs> stuff, wearing a lot of different hats. Um, if you don't thrive in chaos or get nervous talking in front of people, it may not be great. There yeah. are jobs, though, like you don't have to be a public speaker. Like I mentioned, community managers, you're just more facilitating the community growth or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, TLDR, I make I just make cool shit for developers. That's all I do. Love it. I'm obsessed with that. Um, Thank you. What is, <laughs> what is your favorite project that you've worked on lately? Ooh, yeah. Um, Drawing a curveball. No. What's uh, So I just started at Single Store like eight weeks ago. Um, oh, so new. So I'm like, okay. I know, still new. So yeah, um, 
I just did, well, let's see here. Actually, you know what? This is not related to work. I've just been doing like onboarding stuff and I've been producing some dumb videos or whatever that, um, but, uh, well, not a dump. They're, they're amazing. You should totally check them out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I just <laughs> link had a TED in, talk. Link in show notes. Great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But no, I just had my first TED talk just That's came out, awesome. um, which I feel is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think that would ever happen, but, uh, gave it a little TED talk on, um, finding your community in tech and like how my journey through finding that, like helping others try to find that too. So cool. that was a big personal deal for me. Yeah. Was recent, a couple weeks ago. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, 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 I can't wait. To I'm biased, it. but I also agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that's like something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also so many people who are transplants into the tech industry from other industries, myself included. I actually yeah. went to school and worked in fashion and beauty for ages. So cool. So different than yeah. logs. <laughs> um, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. And I think that like imposter syndrome is real. It's something people mm. talk about a lot, but also that concept of finding your community and finding a group of people that you respect and that lift you yeah. up and that you lift up like that is just mm-hmm. so important for human well-being as well as career growth. And oh, I totally agree. I should mention to you, I'm for podcast listeners at home. I'm a cis white man, um, which like I am the peak of privilege in this industry too. Um, so like everything I say, take with a grain of salt, but I do think it's, I've heard it's very important too, from people I've chatted with too. And like, personally for me, like finding community is like really helped me feel engaged and mm-hmm. like if you feel alone and like, you don't you know, working with people that look like you, I think that can make it a lot harder too. Yeah. Um, absolutely. We just need more diversity in tech in general, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, find, find people that inspire you, find cool things that make you love programming. Um, it took me a really long time to really fall in love with it, but it wasn't until I found a group of people that made me fall in love with it that, you know, and I've been, I've just been trying to share that with the world ever since, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's super awesome. So you told us, uh, kind of how you think about developer advocacy in general, the three buckets mm. where you yeah. fit in right now. How does this compare to other organizations that you've worked in? Would you, do you find My it pretty similar? My yeah. single store? Yeah, it, I mean, it's pretty much the same. I, the nice part about my job is like all the work I do is very open. So all my code is open source. All my videos are public on YouTube and I have a very public TikTok and Twitter presence, which by the way, you should follow me at Joe Carlson on all platforms. Yeah. Um, but uh, so like all my stuff's up there and I feel like the last couple of roles I've gotten, like have just been from my work being on the ether. Mm-hmm. Most people know what to expect when they bring me on board, which is great. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Which feels good. So anyway, TLDR, people love what I'm doing and they hire me to keep doing what I'm doing, which is really, really lucky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about the same. I don't know. It's I'm producing content, trying to help out where I can. Right now, too, especially in a new org, my goal right now is just trying to like meet everybody, make develop relationships, mm-hmm. trying to like show my value. Because like I think for a lot of people, I'm we're we're new here. Like the, the thing that is different in my current role is like developer advocacy, this is a new job function. It hasn't okay. existed before. So not a lot of people know how, like what I do and how to utilize me. Yep. So it's been a lot of work just getting around and showing value and helping and teaching and kind of doing that. And then my, my next step here is like start reaching to the community too and trying to, you know, make cool stuff. Cause I still don't know. I'm, I guess I'm still trying to like develop a voice around it, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah. 
it's a work in progress. It always is. Yep. Yep. Okay. I have a question that is is burning for me, but can we come back to the TikTok thing? Because I'm very interested <laughs> to just talk about yes. that and hear about it from your perspective and the content that you're creating there. So yeah, we'll put a pin I've, in that. So <laughs> I've done a couple tech things on there and I just wrote a big document about business value of TikTok too. Uh, are you on there by the way? I'm not. Oh, well, okay. okay. I mean, I have a TikTok and I mm. I watch and consume stuff lurking. from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Nothing yeah, I'm such yeah. a lurker. You understand the culture though. That's that's the, that's the key part. For sure. When I joined, it was like they obviously targeted the groups to me that were like over 30 women. Mm. Yeah. Which is really funny. And also that's the content that I consume on Instagram and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. It's all either They're tech so stuff or out. yes, yeah. like yoga, yeah. how to make a Buddha bowl. I don't know, stuff about kids. It's yeah. hilarious <laughs> to see how different the content that's targeted at me is compared to my male counterparts who work in tech oh, yeah. and, and other things. So, oh, totally. Yeah. Side note. Um, <laughs> One final note I'm going to say from like a business perspective, I think most companies are like sleeping on TikTok right now. Yeah. Um, it feels like the wild west early days of YouTube right now. Like I'm part of this community called Tech Talk. Um, okay. and it's all technically focused content on there. Um, but we're like discovering how to use this platform. I've launched a couple of business uh, accounts. So a couple of like database tech accounts on there too. And they do really well. Cool. What I'm seeing generally that I mean, most people are really nervous about it. So not willing to make investments in it. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're failing wildly at it. Um, Cause it doesn't work like any other platform, Twitter and LinkedIn. I put it out there. People will see it, but TikTok works differently. It's the only user platform that is user driven. So if your yeah. content sucks and people don't engage with it, it dies. Yeah. If you lose that control and if you make shitty content, it's not going anywhere. Right. So it's like really making people have to like reevaluate their content strategies, um, which is interesting. So but. good to compare that to the early days of YouTube. Right. Uh, YouTube has just continued to grow and thrive and break into different industries. And like when it started, you would not see every CubeCon talk yeah. hosted on YouTube. <laughs> Never. Yeah, yeah, just to see the change over the last 20 years is it's super cool. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And YouTube's still a great place to go. I make yeah. a ton of content for them too. Yeah. It's great. For sure. Love YouTube. Shout out to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Today's you're sponsor, YouTube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> JK, this show is not sponsored by anybody oh, okay. but Log okay. DNA. Okay. <laughs> just had to had to slip that one in there. Okay. So let's Let's talk a little bit about how DevRel contributes to a DevOps culture. You mentioned mm. that right now you're still kind of trying to meet everybody, um, form those relationships. I think relationship building in general is so critical to DevOps. Yeah, and underrated. Yeah, underrated. Undervalued. Yeah, in tech in general. But yeah, especially DevOps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would just love to hear your perspective on kind of that relationship between the two. Yeah. Well, I think I think. This is like the best expression of that, right? Like my job is like like evangelize and spread and talk about it. And I Mm -hmm. think spreading ideas is something that's really important in it. Um, Developers like are listening to podcasts, they're watching YouTube videos, they're reading blog posts, they're on Reddit, they're on Hacker News. Like um, in order to get like ideas out there, particularly new ideas, I think you need to get out there and like in place, like meet developers in places where they're at. So like talk about them. Um, your ideas might suck, but like, I mean, the whole idea too is like, 
getting out there and having a conversation about them, at least getting a conversation started. And for me too, a lot of it involves around education. So it's like, you may not know about these cool things or like, there's a problem here. Like we have, there's, there's a solution. Uh, my job isn't to sell. I'm not a salesperson. Like, mm-hmm. but, um, and most of all, like you're not tied to any sales quota. Our job is to help you solve the problem, whether you use the product or not. Um, trust is super important. Yeah. Um, empathy, communication, listening. Um, also, there's another debate too in uh, developer advocacy. There's developer evangelists and developer advocates. Um, to me, a developer evangelist is like, it sounds like I'm like a pastor in front of a sermon <laughs> preaching about my product. Um, and I'm not listening. I'm just like talking at you about how cool this thing is, which isn't how this works, right? Yeah. It's like, let me get out. Let's chat about it. Let's talk. I'm going to listen. I want to like, what do you need? What, like, how can I best support you? Oh, you need, you know, a spring, a Java spring boot document or how to guide for your, this, like, okay, great. Let's make that for you. Or this thing is, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's about listening and trying to understand or passing on feedback or whatever to, to the product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Two-way street. Yeah. There are two concepts that have come up in all of our conversations in the podcast so far. One mm. is trust. Like mm. across the board, people are like trust is the single most important thing. If you don't mm. start with that foundation, nothing else can grow on top yeah. of it and DevOps will not be successful. No, totally. Yeah. And then the yeah. other one is this concept of solving the problem. And mm-hmm. that in and of itself is just such an important thing to to get people around and aligned on. And it yeah. can really help um, kind of take you out of your head when you're thinking about a task and you're like, this mm. is my role. Mm. I will accomplish this task by doing the things that I know are defined by my role. That's yeah. so limiting. You're not really yeah. going to solve the problem if you're only thinking about how you as an individual can do it with the tools that you have. Like you yeah. really have to challenge yourself to to step outside of your own role and perspective and tool set even yeah. to think about it. Yeah. You know, how do I accomplish this thing? And maybe I can contribute to it and maybe I can't actually contribute to it. And there's somebody from another team completely that's better suited um, to help solve this problem. So that reminds me of a quote I just read yesterday okay. um, by my friend Swix. Um, that do what's right, now it's easy to measure, which I think can be tricky in orgs too. Like, especially if you're very OKR focused. Yeah. Um, and sometimes like doing a thing that you aren't being measured on is the right thing to do, even though it's not contributing towards your your goals or whatever yeah. too. And it, the, the best case scenario is you have a like a manager that isn't, going to penalize you for doing what's right even if it's not the thing that's helping get the okrs up or whatever too things change i don't know absolutely yeah you know and not saying you shouldn't measure anything like you should still have it there but like it's just everything needs to be like i don't know judged in the context of things like the priorities changing especially if you had a small company or what even a big company but yeah you just gotta make just gotta get it just gotta get some stuff done sometimes yeah i think it's easier in a small company right because you have more access to people in other teams and different verticals yeah there's usually less red tape yeah you just get stuff done yeah yeah exactly um you know when you're working at a company of less than a couple hundred people you can probably just slack the ceo (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. That's been my experience too. And you should expect it to like wear more hats too on a smaller team. Like, Mm -hmm. like this needs to get done. Great. Literally no one's going to do it. Like it's either you or nobody that's, you know, kind of make a choice whether that's going to get done or not. Yeah, totally. I'm a big fan of OKRs too, but I think it suits my personality because I like to know what I'm doing and have something to measure against. Yeah. But I think that there are levels. Like, you can either do them or not do them, or you can do them but leave space in your your quarter to do things that are not accounted for because things come up and you probably don't know them three months ahead. Um, And then something else that we do is we have individual OKRs, but we also have shared OKRs across Mm. teams. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when we're doing planning, marketing has shared OKRs with product and Sales may have shared OKRs with finance. Obviously, that feels like it makes sense. But think about sales having shared OKRs with engineering. Like, that's maybe not that common, but it's super helpful because when you're all working towards the same goal, Mm -hmm. you can support each other, whatever needs to happen to make that that goal succeed. Oh, totally. You're going to have more leadership buy-in for, like, cross-functional yes. support, which we need more of in general. Um, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I um, I just recently changed my mind on this, but I feel like I'm a big fan of having OKRs but not having them tied to, per- like, bon- like performance bonuses. Mm, yeah. Um, so, like, they're still there, but it should be up to discretion of your manager whether you're passing or not. I have mixed feelings about it. I think that could be abused. But, I mean, anytime a metric's involved, I could, like, there's abuse going on anyways. Like, mm-hmm. metrics are – once there's a metric – in place it ceases to become a valuable measure of value like they're they can be games pretty easily especially by large teams i don't know i just have such mixed feelings i think they're important they're good i use them personally i use them on teams too um it's just uh to each their own <laughs> yeah exactly and you know even like things are going super remote right now and i'm hearing rumblings from developers that um losing that human touch with their managers and teams is like making companies view their workforce as like units of work to be accomplished. Like mm, you're interesting. You built, you're writing this many lines of code or whatever, and you become completely judged on quantifiable numbers and OKRs. Yeah. Um, and not as like a well-rounded human being on a team too. And that's something I'm seeing generally with this remote work revolution that I think a lot of managers and leaders need to be aware of um, and like actively fight against. So good to call out. Yeah. I think also, it depends on where your organization was pre-remote. If you were in yeah. a good spot to be able to transition, did you already have good communication between people, mm. all of that stuff? Or were you super siloed before and then you went remote and you didn't really put in the effort to do better? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like the remote work is just made existing problems worse mm-hmm. it just kind of exacerbated them if you had a communication issue before you're definitely gonna have one today yeah it's just like yeah you have to be really intentional about it um i did want to i i forgot the even original question you asked me which was how can devrel help support DevOps a devops culture? culture yeah yes and i have a better answer okay um, great um hit me with so it. like i think a lot of companies especially if you're not producing software like a developer focused comp product as a you know, you're not going to have someone like me in your org. It mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Um, I worked for um, some large e-commerce companies before and tried starting a role like this. It didn't work. It just didn't work culturally because they're selling computers um, yeah. or whatever, right? 
but you can still have people in there. And I think like a DevRel mindset is really important if you're doing DevRel. Cause a big part with like transitioning from like a non DevOps culture to a DevOps culture is like communicating that change. It's a lot of tech changes, a lot of like structural changes and like how you're doing things, like how you're building things is changing. And like, I've seen this firsthand so many times, but culture, like companies just build the thing. They have no training docs. There's no train. There's no helping with it. It, it, and it just, it dies. Yeah. It flounders. And they spent, you know, half a billion dollars building out this DevOps, you know, flow for the developers. And it just doesn't work because they can't evangelize it internally. Right. Um, but it's important, like the human side of that and training and like building that and like talking and building workshops is super important. So even if you don't have that, like try to find someone who's passionate about it and like actually give them the time to do it. I've been in situations too. Like I was, I was a lead engineer for this large e-commerce company and it was just kind of expected, like, Joe's good at this. He'll do it extra. But like, mm. dude, now I'm working 40 hours a week. I'm not going to mm. do tech lead things and ship code. And also it's it's mass. It made me feel undervalued, right? Yeah. Like taking the time for it to do it, you know? Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, point is you can still evangelize internally and like build that culture and community internally for new, like transitioning you to a DevOps culture. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, to kind of parrot it back to you, yeah. having a dedicated person or team of people who is responsible for mm-hmm. evangelizing these ideas and concepts yeah. throughout the organization is super important. I would add one thing or would love your perspective on this addition. Yeah. Also getting buy-in from the people that you're actually expecting to do the work mm. and change the way that they work. Yeah. So like in your example, super unfair to ask you to lead this this charge mm-hmm. but if somebody else was leading it yeah. and they came to you and said hey joe this is how we're thinking of transitioning this this process or the way that we work mm-hmm. how do you feel about it how would you yeah. approach this i think that that buy in and like ownership over it can be really important and just making people feel valued and you know mm-hmm. like they want to participate in the culture that you're forcing on them <laughs> yeah no totally and that's i mean sometimes that no one talks about that with devops culture sometimes it feels like that like yeah i've been doing it this way for 20 years why do i gotta do it this new way mm-hmm. well let's talk about it you know and sometimes you just need to like have a combo about it um engineers tend to be very analytical I, in my experience that isn't always true sometimes they're very emotional they get very emotional about their tech choices um, yeah and you know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's human nature. It's just, it's something you have to deal with. That's, so I don't know. It, ignoring it doesn't, doesn't work. Totally. Yeah. 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 And to your point, it's just, it's hard to change. Change is hard. We fear change. We're human. Yeah. We're, we fear change. Yeah. It's hard. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've heard you say this phrase before, and I think that it's interesting here because we're talking about change which Mm -hmm. is inherently Mm. inconsistent. But I've heard Mm -hmm. you say that consistency is key for DevOps. Mm. Can we unpack that a little bit? And also how you think about balancing consistency with the drive to move fast and innovate Mm -hmm. and change and, you know, grow. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, um, I find with like culture shifts like that, like a big change all at once does not usually work. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're driving DevOps within an org, a big part of that is going to be like working with the teams you're looking to update to a DevOps workflow and like figuring out their needs and then figuring out how to like integrate like 
a DevOps culture or like a DevOps workflow for their team. And it's going to vary differently from like from team to team. I don't know. And, and get the consistency part too, I think a lot of it just has to do with like constantly working for it. I, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I think like, con- like incrementally bringing people in and upgrading or changing that workflow is probably the best way to do that. Doing a massive rollout on one day is, and, and, and people in tech know that, right? That that's I mean, that's part of DevOps culture, right? Like right. small incremental changes um, all the time. You're testing and monitoring frequently. Like apply a DevOps mindset to applying a DevOps mindset to your, your organization. Yeah. Um, you know that. what I mean? Yeah. Feedback cycles, listening, testing, small changes. Like let's move that out. Like that's, I do a lot of work with community work too. And like, that's what you like, get the community involved, ask questions, ask for their feedback, bring it out, like make them feel involved. Mm-hmm. If you, they can like influence your work and like how that works for them, they're going to feel more personally invested in it. I'm probably going to be able to help evangelize that better. If you just like tell them this is the way it's going to work, they're probably going to fight it and hate it. And it's going to die a fire or death. Yeah. Um, but getting those key stakeholders and making them feel involved can be really huge. And that's just through consistent work with like, working with teams and building out and expanding. Yeah. So the the phrase consistency is key should not be confused with consistently do things the same way because that's <laughs> yeah. how they've Never always been done. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's more so <laughs> consistently be working at it, consistently challenge yourself to mm-hmm. think about things in new ways and have a framework in place so that you can test and iterate and mm-hmm. move move faster. Yeah. Is that is that right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. I love that. <laughs> I think I'm gonna tweet out that applying a DevOps mindset thing. That's a great yeah. that's a great line too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I feel so smart when I talk sometimes. You sound really, really smart. dumb. But like this was like, <laughs> well, that's that should be on a t shirt. That's good. <laughs> yes. Totally. As as we're listening back to this episode, I'll pull out some quotes for t shirts. I feel you. like there's Thank quite a few that. in here. Awesome. Well, this has been such a good conversation. I feel like we could keep going for probably another hour, but hopefully the people who are listening have exciting work and things to get back to. So we will let them get back to their days. Thank you so much for being here, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to do a couple plugs. Follow me on all the socials at Joe Carlson. Um, if your database is running too slow, definitely check out Single Store. It's great for real-time analytics. And uh, I think that's it. Thank you for having me here. This has been a blast. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. I'm Lise Jones. Thank you for listening to this episode of DevOps State of Mind, brought to you by LogDNA. If you want to hear more about the DevOps culture, subscribe to the show, and then pop over to our website at logdna.com to learn how to be more productive in a DevOps world. Links and information from today's episode, including all of Joe's handles, will be in the show notes. And DevOps State of Mind was produced and edited by Pamela Lawrence from Studio Pod Media. Thanks. Talk to you guys later. Okay. Sweet. Woo!